0: Hello, and welcome to Developer's Journey, the podcast shining a light on developers' lives from all over the world. My name is Tim Bourguignon, and today I receive Baron Ornstein. Uh, Ben spent the last years working at ThoughtBot in Boston, where he and his colleagues obsessed about code quality and keeping shipping speed high. You might remember ThoughtBot from the last episode with Saron Niedberek. This is where Saron um, did her apprenticeship. There, Ben co-created the Upcase course, one of many products that Ben created. Uh, Ben is the author of the Refactoring Rails course, the Code Quality Challenge, uh, Trailmix and Briefs products. We might talk about it um, during the podcast. And he's currently building Tuple, a tool for remote pair programming. And thus, it is not surprising to hear that Ben is also the host of the Art of Product podcast. Ben Welcome to the journey. Thank you so much. I'm psyched to be here. I'm psyched as well. I'm psyched as well. Um, let's keep on this product journey. Uh, where do you energy comes from for building so many products? This is insane.
1: Hmm. Um, I think maybe this like might be one of my superpowers in that it doesn't feel like that much work to me. There's something like I I just love making a new thing. I'm kind of addicted to the first. Uh, six months of any project like i I love getting things started and like turning nothing into something i'm admittedly less good at the next part which is like maintaining it and staying focused on it and not getting distracted (laughs) by new things Um, but the energy has always just been there naturally i don't know where
0: it comes from okay and how does this uh, second part goes then when you have a product rolling and what happens then well,
1: I'm kind of finding that out now, to be honest. Um, so I'm working on a new company. Uh, we're about a year old now, and so uh, we actually, I would still say we're in the early phases. So it's it's not quite it's not quite happening yet. Um, in the past, it's it's been hard uh, for me to sustain interest. Um, it, it, I think my brain is wired such that I'm very interested when it's not clear if something will work. And there's lots of things to be figured out. And then once I kind of feel like the big questions have been answered and the rest is that's left to do is to execute on those ideas or on those sort of plans um, and to keep it going, I think I lose a bit of interest. So uh, we'll see how I do with Tuple. Uh, I, I think this will be more interesting than usual because I it's something that I um, I own a part of and have built from the ground up. So hopefully it won't be too much of an issue. We'll see. Mm -hmm.
0: interesting so the the technical challenge is really uh, triggering your brain and then the the organizational or or, um, marketing or whatever is not that much of your uh, cup of tea did i get that right um i
1: not not quite actually i don't i don't mind sales and marketing that's actually mostly what i'm doing for tuple Uh, i have two Mm -hmm. other co-founders and they're both technical so there's plenty of people to write code Um, and so I'm focusing mostly on sales and marketing and I'm, I'm enjoying it quite a bit, bit, actually. I, it's, it's fun. Um, it's more, it's less about the kind of work and just more about the phase of the project. I think where I'm really good in the figuring things out phase and then less good in the stay focused on this and keep paying attention and actually push this thing all the way over the finish line phase, I would say.
0: That's interesting. I think I've, um, not really with products but um the same kind of leadership I'm very interested in in getting people to move their ass and to start something but when it becomes mm. organizing it's well it's less my stuff so I, I kind of relate to what you're saying that's that's very interesting um but you are still very technical and your journey started as a developer right yes
1: that's right yeah I've been pr- programming for about uh, fourteen years now or so
0: Okay. Would you like to uh, take us back there?
1: Yeah, sure. Why not? So the first time I really actually did any programming, I was a senior in high school. So um, I ended up finishing high school a little bit early. I had enough uh, credits. I'd taken enough classes that I didn't need to... Uh, I, I, I was ready to graduate a little bit early. And there was fortunately this, this program at my school where you could go take classes at a local college for free uh, instead of just kind of hanging out and waiting to graduate. So I went to a local university and took a computer science class. And it was like Computing 101. And it was there was a great professor, his name was Jim Canning. And he ran this wonderful course where it was almost entirely... Um, he, at the beginning of the, of the year, he gave us this stack of paper that described like 120 different little programs that you could write. And your grade was largely d- dependent on how many of those programs did you get written before the, the course was over. And they started off very, very easy, and they got you know, tricky towards the end. And so that was my first uh, like programming uh, exposure for real, where I was really doing it in earnest. And it turns out I loved it. It was just so fun. Uh, I, I loved the class. I loved the assignments. I did well. Uh, in, I did well in that class, which was actually sort of an anomaly for me. I, I have not uh, historically been that great academically. And, but this was sort of the first time something really caught my attention, that I really loved it, and I really poured myself into it.
0: Mm-hmm. Interesting. And how did you go from there?
1: Well, <laughs> from there was a bit of a windy road, actually. So I had this good success early on, and I was like, oh, I love programming, this is fun. And so I enrolled in a whole bunch more computer science classes when I, when I did go away to, to uh, university, and it turns out I had not developed that much maturity uh, in high school, and I was not ready to for a full course load, and uh, I did really poorly actually. So I ended up getting um, kicked out of college uh, towards the end of my junior year for not for, for for my GPA falling below a certain threshold, and they were like it triggered this um, automatic uh, suspension basically, mm-hmm. and so I had to leave the college for a while and kind of get my life together. So it was it was it that was sort of a had a, like a, a good a promising first start where i was like oh i love programming this is fun and then i was like oh actually i i haven't learned how to break down projects and i'm a bad procrastinator and i don't have a lot of maturity honestly so um had a bit of a setback early on
0: but you seem to have gained maturity since then right
1: <laughs> i hope so <laughs> yeah so it turns out getting older and you know so this was kind of this is the first time in my life i had really faced consequences for my actions i had i'd lived a very uh, idyllic childhood It was pretty wonderful. And I had more or less just dodged responsibility for so long that I I didn't really know how to deal with it. But finally, my bad behavior caught up to me. And so I moved home and was very ashamed and very sad. Uh, And I got a job as a bartender and was really embarrassed. And uh, it it stirred something in me where I, I basically just stepped back and said, this is not how I want my life to go. And so I started applying for better jobs and started getting them. I had some IT skills from an like an internship and playing around with computers as a younger person. And so I managed to get a job as like an IT consultant. And so I was uh, now in the tech field, which was great. And sort of kept applying for like working somewhere for a little while and then applying for a better job and just kind of like stair-stepping my way up through the professional world until eventually I was writing code full-time as a developer. And uh, I actually still have still don't have a degree. And it's looking like it's probably not going to happen. <laughs>
0: <laughs> not not even a saltbot apprenticeship.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, no, no degrees of any kind. Uh,
0: how did this um this working up the chain work? did you did you choose a, a language and stick to stuck to it, or did you go with the flow, whatever you could find? That's a really good question.
1: Um so there was a big turning point. So I, I managed to land a job as an entry level developer at a company. Uh, and that was like kind of, it felt like a big win at first. I was like, oh my God, I'm going to get paid to write software. This is amazing. Uh, and they were, uh, they had a nice trait in that they hired entry level developers. So they gave me this sort of like logic test and kind of like programming test. And I did really well on it. And they're like, oh, you seem like a really good candidate. Um, but I ended up kind of really hating the, cl- the company culture there. There were some serious problems with it. And I was actually fairly miserable there. And so my performance on the job was really suffered but i was excited enough about programming that i really wanted to to find a better job i knew that it, there were better jobs out there and so i started teaching myself ruby on the side hmm. so i had bumped into ruby extremely early actually um, I, I bought a book on ruby i think in the in like 2005 maybe which was really early on um, and was amazed by it because i had been programming c and then there was this thing called ruby and it was like oh my god it was like just like ridiculously higher level it blew me away how like my only exposure had been to the programming world was in C where everything is very low level, lots of manual memory management and things like that. And suddenly here was this incredibly expressive language. So I had, I had it piqued my interest, but I didn't think there was any way you could do anything with it because it was just this fun play language out of Japan. And then Ruby on Rails came along. So uh, when I was at this job that I didn't like with a bad culture, uh, I was teaching myself Ruby and uh, really teaching myself Rails on the side. And I bought the Agile Web Development with Rails book from uh, Pragmatic Programmers. And I built a I was building like a, some little Rails apps on the side, and somehow, so, like a friend of a friend, forwarded a job request a, lot, a, a job description my way, uh, and was just like, "Hey, like, there's this uh, uh, organization that's looking to hire an entry level Rails developer," and I was like, "Hey, I could be an entry level Rails developer," and I applied and I got in, and this was night and day, like the, it was it was a small team, uh, the, my boss was great. Uh, we pair programmed almost every day. He used Vim. Uh, we got uh, just like very willing to adopt new technologies, really supportive. And I, and I basically was his apprentice uh, p- pairing almost full time for months and just completely leveling up my development abilities. And that was really like a, a big turning
0: point for me. Fascinating. There's many questions I want to ask. Which one, which one, which one? Um, When, let's go with this one. You were developing in C before, and we talked about this, this, producing something in you know, a product. Um, this is what I, I um, connect in my mind with Ruby on Rails, is creating products, is being very efficient at um, at pushing something out the door. Is this something that you failed at that time?
1: Hmm. Um, I guess, no. At the time, no. I, I was just interested in, is there a way I can write Ruby and get paid for it? Because hmm. I was using this... Le- proprietary language at the job i didn't like that you wouldn't even recognize the name of because they wrote it and they only they were the only users of it in the world <laughs> uh, and i was like i hate this language it's terrible and then i was using ruby on the side and i was like this is beautiful and i was like how do i get paid to write ruby and i was like well the only answer for that f- for a long time and h- almost still i would say is, is write a rails app mm-hmm. and so i started learning that
0: okay makes sense makes sense
1: so yeah i didn't like once i later on i would discover how how good root like rails is at at shipping prototypes and that was just sort of a side benefit
0: okay yeah makes sense um how did this um, um not apprenticeship but you said you were you were kind of um the apprentice of your former uh boss how did this relationship evolve between the two of you i think well also
1: i was kind of fortunate in that there there was and probably still is a bit of a labor shortage for experienced Rails developers. So at the time, there were no boot camps teaching you Ruby or Rails. And so there's almost nobody with a lot of Rails experience in the world, and especially like, let alone uh, in their particular geographic area. And so they tried to hire an experienced person, but everyone was trying to hire an experienced person and very few existed. And so they failed. And that job ad was up for months. And then they, uh, said, Okay, let's let's try something different. Let's try to hire a junior person. And we'll just have to invest the time to, to train them up to speed. And so they were, they came into it fully aware that I was fairly new. And at this point, I had like, really, like, I think I had basically successfully made one Rails app. And it was simple. And like, it talks to um, an Amazon service it talked to a Mechanical Turk, and like, was like, really, like, barely did anything. But, you know, I had learned how to write some tests and they really appreciated that because they had a strong testing culture and I had shown some initiative. I, I had shown that I was willing to do this on my own and uh, they kind of took a bit of a risk on me. And so uh, they I started my first day and they clearly knew like I didn't know that much. And so my boss just basically said, like, look, I'm going to I'm going to teach you things. I'm going to get you up to speed. And so that was where I learned to like pair programming. And I, I just spent a lot of time sitting right
0: next to him. Mm hmm. Do you have an idea um, why they chose you? maybe um, you said there was a shortage of uh, of labor, but what what um, interested them in your in your profile in your psyche, in your way of thinking?
1: Mm, I don't know. I mean <laughs> I might have been one of the only people to apply like this this ad got passed through a friend of a friend and like it was being circulated around, I think because they were having such a hard time filling the position. And they weren't paying that much at the time. like it, it was way more than I had been making. So it felt great to me, but it wasn't like a super competitive salary. So I think it was literally just like no one else wanted the job. <laughs> and I showed up and was eager and you know, seemed smart enough in an interview that they said, all right, let's, let's take this guy.
0: Okay, so, so let's flip the question around. Uh, 15 years down the line. So, so now, if you were to, uh, to pick a junior developer to, uh, to keep under your wing and, and, and teach uh, Ruby on Rails, what would you be searching for? Hmm, that's an interesting question.
1: Um, like what kind of personality traits would I look for? Is that is that what you want to know? Yes, yes. I guess the biggest one is something like grit. So the the ability to push forward and uh suffer a little bit and uh not get too discouraged. I think uh so much of programming is existing in this state where you don't quite know what to do and you don't know why this thing isn't working and it totally should work and it doesn't and you have to figure out why and there's a bunch of different ways to figure out why and but it's it's kind of it can often just takes a long time of you just feeling stupid and pushing through that discomfort And, and something i often tell people is like i tell junior developers in particular is that feeling doesn't go away. The problems just get trickier. Like it takes more to trip you up, but you'll still spend tons of time as an experienced developer being like, why doesn't this work? This should totally work. And so I think that meta skill of like just living with that discomfort and not throwing your hands up and saying, well, it doesn't work, whatever, I I can't do this. I'm not smart enough or like no one else is struggling this way or something like that is probably what I would be looking for.
0: Mm -hmm. That's interesting. Um, One of the guests... um that has not uh, been published yet, uh, said pretty much exactly the same thing. He said that uh, um, seniority is um, is being, um, how, did, how did you put that? Um, being at ease with not feeling stupid, but uh, kind of feeling stupid or feeling um, feeling uneasy with the tasks that you're at hand. So, so knowing mm. that is it's a normal process, and, and this was his definition for seniority, which I found very interesting. Yeah, I like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, what happened after this um, this first apprenticeship in air quotes um, in Ruby and Rails?
1: Yeah, so uh, so that was a huge turning point for me. I had gone from a I was uh, again my previous job had been programming, but I, I really didn't like it. The culture was very bad, and then I went to uh, a better job where I was still programming, but making way more money and a much better culture, and loved it. But uh, I, I felt like a, after a while, after about two years, I had kind of learned about as much as I was going to learn at that job, and I wanted to keep leveling up. Like my favorite m- favorite thing in life, I think, is just getting better at things. And so I, I started slowing that that progress started slowing down, and I they there was like politics involved, so I couldn't really get promoted, and uh, it was just like looking like there was not much there to be had. So I started looking around. And along the way, I had become friends with uh, someone over at ThoughtBot. Uh, his name was Dan Croak, who is like one of the best, all-time best networkers of all time. He's just amazing at meeting people and sustaining friendships and staying in touch. And so he and I had been friends. And um, at one point, he like, reached out to me. Uh, or I can't remember who reached out first. But we started a conversation. And it was like, all right, let's, let's get this ball rolling. And so I applied to ThoughtBot and, uh, and got accepted. And that was turning point number two. So like the my rate of improvement had changed tremendously when I went to this first job, and then Thoughtbot was um like another like I don't know doubling or something of my ability uh, because everyone at Thoughtbot was uh, more experienced and incredibly passionate, devoted to quality and learning and sharing, and I was just like steeped in this culture that was just amazing and this was like even an even bigger turning point for me. Like I couldn't have gotten a ThoughtBot without the previous job, but ThoughtBot, I think has made everything else possible for me because I learned how to like, I learned how to really write good code there. Um, I learned so much from the coworkers there and the culture at ThoughtBot is very much based around sharing and teaching. And so because of that, I was encouraged all the time to make uh, courses and give talks and write blog posts and tweet useful things. And, through doing that, I and ho- host a podcast. That was actually where I began podcasting. I hosted the Thoughtbot podcast for about five years, and through doing all that, which is something I was just having fun doing and enjoying and feeling good about giving back, I developed uh, my own audience. And so there were there's you know over time a larger number of people just following me and wanting to stay in touch with what I was doing uh, and wanting to learn stuff. And that has been what I feel like has kind of unlocked. The next phase of my life, which is what I'm doing now working on Tuple, like coming into Tuple, having that audience of Twitter followers and newsletter subscribers and YouTube subscribers and all that has been incredibly useful uh, for my current company
0: mm-hmm. uh, let's let's unpack this a bit. There were a lot of information there. Um, what does Thoughtbot do exactly? Can you summarize this for the uh, for the audience please?
1: Yeah, so Thoughtbot is a I would say primarily Ruby on Rails consultancy. They maybe that may be less true every uh, year that it's that's less Rails is happening and more other things. But when I joined, it was uh, about th- I think I was employee number twenty seven or something. I think we were under thirty at the time, and uh, everyone was writing Ruby on Rails and uh, four other companies. So we were like a consulting firm.
0: Mm-hmm. Were you at your clients or would you in your um offices with your coworkers? Almost always in the offices, and that was one of the core.
1: Um, values early on. I think that's less true now, but early on, we, we we strongly preferred not going to client offices, and so we would try to have clients come to us, or we would work like semi remotely and and meet up with them uh, once a week or so.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes the um, the sharing among peers um, way easier, at least uh, inside your your yeah. company.
1: Right, and when you're when you're working on with a client, you are not. You don't work there. You're like you're an outsider, and so being in their office feels like being a guest in someone's home. And so it's it's can be pleasant enough, but you're not quite relaxed. Uh, versus being around your Thoughtbot coworkers, who you know who you have known for years in Thoughtbot's like very nice offices. It was
0: just more pleasant. Mm-hmm. Um, how did you deal with the um, the pressure of producing something for the client and your standards for quality, um, matching those two? That's a a good question. So
1: I almost didn't take the ThoughtBot job. I almost never applied, actually, because I remember thinking like, okay, ThoughtBot bills like something like $200 an hour. Um, And there's no way I can get I can produce stuff that's worth that. Like, if I'm building that much, I'll have to uh, be working so hard that I probably can't sustain that level of output. And a friend of mine was like, no, 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 shut up. Just just apply anyway. Uh, And he was right because it was (laughs) fine um but the the trade-off of um quality versus productivity is not quite so black and white i would say so i think it's like if you're only ever going to ship one feature you can write the feature really crappy and like just like the really simplest quick and dirty version and ship it and it's fine that will be fast but if you have to write a new feature the next week and another one in the next week and then fix bugs the next week and then fix bugs the next week. You don't really gain that much by shipping the crappy version. So I think people think of this, like this 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 trade-off of like it's either fast and crappy or slow and good, like slow and high quality. But I would say actually like if you want to maintain a consistently fairly high speed, you have to have it be high quality. You can't actually really trade off quality and speed quite as easily as some
0: people might think you could. Mm-hmm. I absolutely agree. I've just lived the, um, the flip side of this, um, being at a client and having the client, uh, breathe down your neck and kind of observe what you're doing and kind of have a say, like micromanaging what you're doing and have a say in which quality, um, uh, measures come in and, and, and don't come in. That's why I'm asking this, this question. Um, I guess if you're, if you're remotely and the client doesn't have a complete um, oversight on of what you're doing, then it definitely makes sense to, uh, to shoot for quality, yeah?
1: Yeah, I would say that even if we were in the client's offices, Thoughtbot was very good at only taking clients that were willing to defer to our judgment as to how something should be written. Mm-hmm. So we, we, we didn't work with micromanaging clients or we would sort of fire them as customers if it, if it turned out that that's what they wanted to do. Um, there were times where they would say, look, this is super high priority. We need this shipped by whatever. Uh, And then so sometimes we would, you know, do the faster version perhaps. But for the most part, uh, we would hire customers that gave us plenty of notice that we knew deadlines well in advance so we could plan, so we could uh, cut scope as needed rather than sacrificing quality.
0: Mm -hmm. Makes sense. It's a good position to be in. (laughs) That's cool. (laughs) For Um sure. Let's unpack yeah. some so more. Um, you said you started um, making courses and then um, holding talks. That's right? That's right. Yeah.
1: Um, I, I've always really enjoyed teaching. Uh, there's something about taking a complicated topic and finding a way to explain it clearly and sequencing that knowledge so that I teach you a l- like what you need to know at that point, uh, but not so much that you get overwhelmed. I just think it's a really interesting challenge and it requires kind of empathy and an analytical nature and an understanding of humans. And that the combination of those skills I find is really intriguing and, and a fun challenge. So I had always enjoyed teaching. And ThoughtBot, part of the culture at ThoughtBot, I would say, is like to just always be giving back to the community, to always be teaching what we've learned. Like you'd be at stand up and someone would say, yesterday, I learned that something, something about Postgres. And someone would immediately say, you should blog that or you should tweet about that. Or you should whatever like you should give a talk about that like people it was just like very much baked into the culture and it was kind of Thoughtbot's answer to marketing, which was like how do you market to developers? Well, if you just don't even think about it as marketing and think of it as teaching all the useful stuff you know, it'll probably work out okay. And in, indeed, it did. So I came into this culture that was uh, like just primed. It uh, was like sort of good for me because I was already primed to want to teach, and that was very much encouraged there. So. Um, I attended RailsConf. So the, the speaking got started, at least when I attended RailsConf for the first time, which is probably 2005 or not, probably seven, eight, who knows. Um, or, and um, uh, I thought it was so cool. I thought RailsConf was awesome, was awesome, but I was like, I really want to be on stage. I want to teach people stuff. And so I applied to speak the next year and got accepted. And that began my like conference speaking career. And it turns out I loved it. I love being on stage. I like helping people learn things. I think a talk is particularly fun because it's teaching married with performance, which I really enjoy. Um, so that has been kind of a huge thing for me. Like I have I have talks on YouTube from conferences that I gave in like you know 2010 or so that people are still watching and still like commenting on, and people still like thanking me for talks I gave a long time ago. So it's been like this wonderful thing that has, um, it's like an asset that has paid back dividends to me uh, for years and years.
0: I can confirm. I, I watched, uh, to prepare for this interview, I watched this, um, this talk he gave, how to um, talk to developers. Um, this was energizing mm-hmm. as hell. This was impressive. <laughs> um, they were <laughs> awesome. standing on chairs, um, making people sing. Uh, that, that was amazing. That was more performance than a talk, I would say. Although...
1: Uh, thank you. Yeah, that was. I think that's my favorite talk of all time. That's that's the one that people mention to me more than anything else. If they if they say, "Hey, I know that a talk you gave," it's it's basically always that one.
0: Yeah, and and there was a, there was the uh, the the five minutes um, Vim uh, magic in the middle just to uh, legitimate it as a, as a technical <laughs> talk. I'd say. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, well, that was really cool. That was really cool. Um, so you still you're still doing this um conference. Um, road uh, trip, I would say, you know, not not really road trip, but are you still on the conference circuit?
1: Um, not very. Uh, I, I, well, I guess actually, yes, a little bit, but in a new world. So, uh, I've stopped mostly stopped giving co- talks at developer conferences, although I'm going to probably pick that up again. Uh, in reasons for reasons I'll explain soon. Um, but lately I have been speaking at this conference called Microconf, which is. Uh, a bit of a new world for me, which is um, dedicated for people that are running uh, small internet-based businesses, which is what I'm doing now. So there's, I, I sort of found another community that I was interested in, which was, okay, I, I'm kind of established in the Ruby world, but uh, there's this whole world of people running businesses and I want to be friends with them. And so I've kind of dedicated my conference attendance and speaking to that for a little while.
0: Mm-hmm. And you said this is uh, something you are going to do soon? Or is it?
1: Well, so this is what I I have been doing. I have been speaking at this sort of entrepreneur style conference, but I want to, um, I think possibly as a marketing effort for Tuple, I will be uh, starting to give technical talks again at developer conferences to see if, Hey, I can do the sort of the the, the same thing ThoughtBot did, which is if I give a great talk and teach and show value and and be useful, uh, will people say, Hey, hey, I wonder what this Tuple thing is and and maybe go sign up for it.
0: Yeah. Very, very interesting. That's, that's a good way to go. To go about it, I think. Um, would you be then talking? Yeah, we'll, we'll see. It might not work, but it's 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 something worth testing. Definitely. Would you go then about um, talking about um, pair programming and, and remoteness, or would you pick a completely different topic?
1: Yeah, um, probably pair programming. Yeah, is sort of the most natural fit where it's going to be a, a useful topic for developers. That's kind of naturally uh, dovetails into uh, like I can mention what I'm what tuple is without making it like a, sound like an ad.
0: Have you had much uh, experience uh, working remotely? Um, no.
1: I think I would be terrible at it. Uh, why that? I um, uh, I thrive on face-to-face interaction. So I, I, ne- I didn't start a company until now because I didn't have co-founders until now. And I knew that I would not want to do... Uh, uh, to try to start a company with someone remotely or by myself. I just, I love being on a team. I thrive on a team. I thrive uh, when I'm around people in person. And I just know that the constraints of remote work would be very
0: bad for my mental health. Mm -hmm. Um, Do you have an idea how you figured that out about yourself? How did I figure this out about myself?
1: Um, Well, I, I flirted with the idea once. So when I left ThoughtBot, there was actually a period of time where the time when I made the refactoring Rails course, which was me trying to sum up my my Rails knowledge from the Thoughtbot years, um, I was out of my own. I quit Thoughtbot because I had been there a long time uh, and loved it, but was ready for a new challenge. And I didn't quite know what the next challenge was, so I just quit. And um, I made that course as something to do to fill time and generate some income. But I was like working in a co working space and and by myself and. It was just miserable. I, I just did not like it. Like trying to do my own thing was was just not for me. Mm, okay, so you tried and figured out now. Not not my thing. That's that's fair.
0: Yeah,
1: it, yeah. And I'm much happier now. Like so I have two co-founders. We are not remote. We see each other all the time, and I love it. Like I'm I'm just I'm just wired that way. I'm I'm less extrovert than I used to be, but I'm still quite extroverted, and I just I need that that time with people.
0: Hmm. No, yeah, makes sense. Makes sense. Um, I would love to talk about uh podcasting a little bit. You said you were pretty early on the on the podcasting bandwagon and started the um thoughtbot podcast um How did that come as an idea and um how did you did you start with this?
1: Mm, well, like all the best ideas, someone else came up with it, and I got to take credit for it <laughs> <laughs> That's fine as well yeah so so what happened was thoughtbot so so thoughtbot had an apprentice program where we so much like that first job i had thoughtbot wanted to hire experienced developers but even thoughtbot couldn't find enough of them so they started an apprenticeship program to train junior developers up to the level that they wanted um and one of the apprentices that we hired was uh uh, had worked on um i think dan benjamin is his name um had had worked on a fairly well-known podcast as a production person and so when he got to thoughtbot he was like hey you guys should uh, have a podcast and uh, chad the ceo said yeah you're right that's that's very much in line with our style like we we put out lots of free content to teach people things and chad came to me and I- i'm guessing because of my like co- my public speaking work my my conference talk stuff and said hey i think you would be a good host for this do you want to host the podcast and I was like, eh, "I don't know. Like, I'd be, I'd be more interested in starting like a SaaS app or something, something that we to earn money. And I, I don't really want to edit it. And I don't want to have to like worry about finding guests and all this stuff. And he's like, "No, no, no. You're just going to be the host. Like, we're going to have someone else find the guests. Someone else is going to edit it. You just have to show up and talk. And I was like, "Oh, okay. I'm interested. Let's do it. <laughs> I
0: can do that. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, so what was the what was the format like? Were you um, inviting people to talk about um, a technical? Um, uh, product or technical uh, feature or something like this uh, how how did you prepare yourself well
1: it was a mix so i hosted the podcast for 5 years so uh, there was a whole and and the podcast um the topic of the podcast kind of followed my journey through thoughtbot so in the beginning at thoughtbot i was a developer and i was most interested in like code and so my earliest guests were all um prominent developers experienced developers and we would talk about really nerdy stuff like the first episode of of that podcast i believe was about uh, the law of demeter and so, um, it started off very technical, and then over time, um, I started. Actually, ended up when I started Upcase at Thoughtbot, which you mentioned, was a uh, like an online learning platform for Rails developers. And so, I was suddenly, as opposed to writing code every day, I was trying to get a small business or like a small business unit off the ground. And so, my guests became entrepreneurs and people who were doing similar things. And uh, yeah, so it was kind of like multiple phases to
0: the podcast. That's very interesting. So it was really um your podcast in the uh, in the company.
1: Uh yeah, I was I was fortunate enough to be asked to do it and then I it got to I got to shape it quite a bit.
0: That's really cool. That's really cool. And so let's jump to the other podcast that you are um hosting. How did you come to how did you come to uh to producing the art of the product podcast?
1: Well, um funny story. So after hosting uh, ThoughtBots podcast for five years, uh when I went to quit. They said, "Great, cool, thanks. Uh, we're going to keep the podcast, and you can go do something else." <laughs> and so, uh, which is fair. Like they paid for it; that's it, it was theirs. So I knew what I was getting into. Uh, that was that was the right call for them. Uh, But suddenly it was like, well, I've gotten a lot of value and I haven't mentioned this, but man, I didn't know how useful it was going to be to host a podcast because uh, I got to make connections with so many interesting people in the industry. As I imagine you are aware, uh, it's great. Mm -hmm. Most people will just say yes to podcast interviews because it doesn't take a lot of time and it's a good way to reach someone else's audience and it's flattering and it's fun to talk about yourself. And so you can get lots of people to say yes to podcast interviews. And so we had tons of guests and I got to become friends with a lot of uh, influential people. So it worked out really fabulously for me. So I, I was, and, and also helped build that audience of people that, you know, knew about me and liked me and trusted me. So mm-hmm. when I left, I was like, well, I need a new podcast. And so I started another one and uh about, was kind enough to let me do an episode, like a goodbye episode where I said, Hey, I'm leaving. I'm not going to be the host anymore, but if you want to follow on my journey, you can come listen to this other podcast. It's called the art of product. And uh, that was the initial audience that came with us, uh, some of them, and
0: it's grown from there. Mm-hmm. Was that um, the continuation of your journey um, from developer to uh, interviewing entrepreneurs and then going on the, on the product side?
1: Yes. Yeah, I would say it is. Like, so now Art of Product is me and my co-host Derek Reimer, and both of us are working on startup companies right now so we the podcast actually focuses on what we're doing so and i'm recording it in uh, 14 minutes actually Uh, and we talk about like what's what's what happened this week like what are you working on like how did this how did that email you sent work out uh, work out like what were the numbers and we just try to share the ups and downs of moving from like being a developer to starting a company yourself and and figuring it out
0: very very interesting very interesting um as you said the time box is um slowly slowly approaching the end of the time box um at the end of an interview i always ask um same question or almost the same question um if you were to give yourself uh, an advice your former self an advice maybe when you were in high school or maybe when you were in college or after uh after dropping out or being uh uh, posed a uh, forcibly, forcibly forcibly uh posed uh, from college what would you give um, <laughs> yourself as <laughs> an advice
1: i guess i mean i i don't know like it all worked out kind of okay and so i might just say like yo heads up like don't worry about it too much like you're gonna figure it out it'll be fine don't don't sweat it too much
0: that's a very good one <laughs> i love it i love it we always we always uh worry too much i think
1: Mm, oh yeah I, I i spend lots of time
0: worrying about things that never
1: happen yes i do as well
0: <laughs> and uh this today again um guilty as charged yeah oh it's a
1: fabulous waste of time
0: <laughs> yes it is <laughs> yes it is but fantastic thank you very much um if the listeners wanted to um reach you uh what would be the, the appropriate medium
1: mm, so um i tweet a fair amount maybe more than i should Uh, I'm on Twitter quite a bit. My Twitter handle is R00K. I was very into chess as like a 12-year-old when I picked my internet handle and it has stuck around. Um, So I tweet a lot uh, and I also podcast, as we've discussed. And my Twitter feed and my podcast are both very focused on the company I'm building now, Tuple. Uh, So uh, if you're interested in that sort of um, a company that sells to developers, founded by developers who are figuring out how to
0: actually make the company part, not just the software part, uh, you might find that interesting. Absolutely. Anything else you want to plug? Anything coming up in the next uh, month?
1: Uh, not quite. Uh, my, my tuple is going to be moving from um, private invite only to public launch, I think, probably, soon. We'll see. I'm not going to commit to a date yet. Um, but uh, if you're looking for... A good remote pair programming tool that has very low latency and is written by developers that hate bloated software. Uh, you might want to use that if you've been pairing or doing screen sharing with uh, Slack or Zoom or something like that, and you want to try a nitpicky programmer's tool instead. Maybe check us out and see what you think. And that's a tuple.app, T U P L E.
0: Fantastic. I will add the, uh, the link to the show notes. So if you didn't catch that completely, just go in the show notes and click on it. Fantastic. Thank you very much. My pleasure. It was fun. It was indeed. And you have 10 more minutes to relax before jumping on your own podcast. (laughs) Perfect. Thank you very much for your time and sharing your story. Thanks, Tim. I had a great time. And this has been another episode of Developer's Journey, and we'll see each other next week. Bye-bye. listener if you haven't subscribed yet you can find this podcast on itunes google music stitcher spotify and much more head over to www.devjourney.info to read the show notes find all the links mentioned during the episode and of course links to the podcast on all those platforms don't miss the next developer's journey story by subscribing to the podcast with the app of your choice right now And if you like what we do, please rate the podcast, write a comment on those platforms and promote the podcast on social media. This really helps fellow developers discover the podcast and those fantastic journeys. Thank you.